Well, good morning. Glad to see you here this morning. If you're visiting, I want to extend a special welcome to you. We're so glad you uh, have chosen to worship with us this morning. Will you, um, will you bow your heads as I begin this morning in prayer? Lord Jesus, we are reminded again through the reading of your word, through the singing of songs, that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who shall reign forevermore. You were born that no man no more may die. Our Savior, who is Christ the Lord, help these truths drive us to worship you and obey you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Open our hearts and our minds now to your word that we can apply it in our everyday lives as we walk into 2024 this morning. I pray in your name. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed a wonderful Christmas celebration with your family and friends. Um, and I hope the joy of Christmas has lingered into this week. I know how easy it is to have sort of a post-Christmas blues I don't know if you've felt that way before. There's such a, a buildup to Christmas that in an instant, it seems it can be suddenly over. I remember when our kids, if you don't know me, um, uh, I've got two adult children now, but when, when they were young, uh, the, the, the buildup and excitement for Christmas morning was, was almost unbearable. Uh, they'd be up before dawn. I mean, it'd be dark. We had a rule. You couldn't wake us up before six in the morning, um, but they'd be up before that, excited. Uh, by ten o'clock in the morning on Christmas morning, you know every gift was opened. We'd already eaten our special Christmas breakfast. That the Lego sets were already constructed, and and and, and all that was left of Christmas was was a, just a mess of, of of boxes and wrapping paper and dirty dishes, uh, and, and in an instant. It seemed as if that anticipation that had been building for weeks was over. Maybe you've had a sense of letdown this week. And this Sunday after Christmas can sometimes feel like that. Uh, on the one hand, I, I want to extend our, our Christmas sermon series one more week. I, I'm so glad we're, we're singing Christmas songs again this morning. But on the other hand, it, it feels, even though we got a little snow this morning, it feels a little bit like Christmas has passed. We're, we're, we're about to enter back into our everyday lives, and, and it feels like it's, it's ready. We're, it's time to shift away from Christmas. So I, I just, I'm curious, uh, maybe just raise your hand. Are, are you more interested in hearing a christmas theme sermon this morning? Anyone? Okay, we got one, two takers. Are the rest ready to just move on? Like, let's, Christmas, one person's ready to move on. That's okay. A lot of undecideds. Well, fortunately, um, I did not prepare two sermons. Uh, I was actually going to ask Rob to come up if you all overwhelmingly <laughs> chose the wrong one. Uh, actually, it's sort of a trick question because uh, the truth of Christmas really ought to permeate every sermon, right? I mean, Christmas is all about uh, the birth of a Savior. God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ 
is at the center of the Bible and the very heart of the gospel. The night Jesus was born, the angel declared to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, Luke 2, 10 through 11. The good news, good news, it's translated, at least the root word for good news is translated in several other passages as the gospel. And the good news of Christmas is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.13, In Him, that is in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, or the good news of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul writes, in Jesus Christ, the gospel of your salvation. It's the good news of Christmas that Paul is writing about. And this morning, I'm going to try to thread a needle uh, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan asked me, what are you preaching on anyways? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to try to carry Christmas into the sermon, but also look ahead to, to the new year and try to weave that together with a macro overview of Ephesians. And he sort of looked at me and was like, oh, that's ambitious. <laughs> I was like, well, if it doesn't work, I've got a, an old sermon on a Simeon that I'll pull out. But... Um, <laughs> Bear with me because I, I'm going to try to do this. Um, we're going to try to keep one foot in this Christmas truth this morning, but we're going to extend our other foot into 2024. And we're going to look at how the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news of Christmas, ought to permeate and influence our everyday words and actions and heart attitude. And our message this morning can be summarized like this, walk, resolve, resolve to walk your everyday life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Resolve to walk your everyday life in a manner worthy of the gospel, which we could call the good news of Christmas. Paul uses this theme of walking throughout the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, you could turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be bouncing around uh, within that letter. Chapter 2, verse 10, Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Chapter 4, verse 17, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of of their minds. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Chapter 5, verses 8 to 9, Paul writes, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And finally, chapter 5, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How we walk is a repeated refrain 
of this letter. Walk in good works. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Walk wisely. And several of these walk commands are preceded by the word therefore. There is a reason behind these walk commands. Paul's instructions for how we are to walk are a direct response to the rich doctrine Paul developed in the first half of this letter. If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, you probably know that the first three chapters focus on doctrine. Paul began his letter by reminding his readers of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the rich blessings found in him. I would encourage you uh, this week as a start to the new year to, to read through these first three chapters of Ephesians in one sitting. In fact, I'd encourage you to do that every day this week as just a, a reminder of the rich spiritual blessings you have in Jesus Christ and to prepare you for the year ahead. Allow me to read a sample of, of these blessings. And this is not a, a, an exhaustive list, uh, but uh, from Ephesians 1.4, God shows you before the foundation of the world and he chose you to be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 1.5, in love God adopted you as his child through Jesus Christ and bestowed you then as his child with the riches of his glorious inheritance. We see that in chapter 1, verse 11 and verse 18. In Christ you have redemption and forgiveness according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon you. Chapter 1, verse 7. In Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of an inheritance. You are no longer dead in sin, Paul writes in chapter 2, but God made you alive with Christ because of his rich mercy, great love, and grace. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 19, Paul writes that you have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And finally, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul writes that you were without hope in this world, but now you have the hope to which he has called you. This is the good news of great joy that is for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Let this sink in for a moment. You are chosen by God. You are loved by God. You are no longer a child of wrath, but redeemed and forgiven. No longer dead in your sin, but alive in Christ. No longer alienated from God, but reconciled to Him and a member of His household. No longer hopeless, but filled with assurance, sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. All of this is because of God's rich mercy, His great love, and His amazing grace. Paul is crystal clear. It is not a result of your works or your own doing. This is all a gift of God for those who believe. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's the most precious amazing gift you could ever receive. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you have never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe like so many in our culture, 
you think, you presume that you'll earn God's favor because you're a, a pretty good person. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to repent of your sin, to stop trusting in your own works and receive, receive the free gift of God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. God's gift of salvation is one to receive by faith. And when you believe, Scripture teaches you move from darkness to light, from despair to hope. Peter describes it like this, according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. 1 Peter 3, 1, 3 to 4. As a Christian, you are born again. Born again, you have new life. You are a child of God. This isn't just theory or facts to know or understand. This is transformational in nature, which is why Paul's letter may begin with doctrine, but it does not end with doctrine. It naturally flows into instructions and our duty as believers in Jesus Christ. You might say that our beliefs drive our behavior or our spiritual wealth is the basis for our spiritual walk. Putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, it's not like buying an insurance policy. You pay your dues, and then you put that policy in a manila folder, and you set that in a filing cabinet, and then you, you pull it out when there's an emergency. That's not what we're talking about. According to Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Your call as a Christian in response to the rich blessings in Christ is to walk in good works that God has prepared for you. Dr. Kent Hughes, former pastor at College Church here in Wheaton, summarized this succinctly in one of his commentaries. He wrote, Authentic believers made by God's hand work for him. Or as we heard earlier in the service, the Apostle John writes this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I don't know if you've heard of this term, trust fund baby. Familiar with that term? It's used to describe young people often in their 20s and 30s who choose not to work because they live off their family wealth. They're the uber rich. And the stereotypical trust fund baby's only care is to decide how to lavishly spend their inheritance on themselves. Friends, we are not called to be spiritual trust fund babies. We've been given a rich spiritual inheritance, and our call is to walk in a manner worthy of that blessing. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, Ephesians 4.1. If you are looking for a 2024 New Year's resolution, 
may I recommend Ephesians 4.1. Resolve to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in Jesus Christ. This means that you recognize that all you have received in Christ and respond to that rich spiritual blessing in faithful obedience. So walking worthy of your calling means this. Because, because Jesus has reconciled you to God, Ephesians 2.16, and restored your fellowship with him, you are called to respond by walking in unity as a church, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Because God chose you to be holy and blameless before him, Ephesians 1, 4, and because God moved you from death and darkness to life and light, you are called to respond by walking in purity in light. Because God is love and acts in perfect love towards you, you are called to respond by walking in love speaking the truth in love and bearing with one another in love. Because you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared for you, you are called to respond by walking in those good works and walking wisely, making the best use of time. As I've been preparing to preach this morning, I've been spending time reading in contemplating and studying this amazing letter to the Ephesians. And, and I've been struck by this direct link between the doctrine of those first three chapters and the, and the duty, our calling, in, this, in the last half of the book. And, and, and I've come to this place where I don't, I don't want to be known as a nice Christian or as a, as a good Christian. Because being nice, I mean, being nice or being good... I, I, I'm all for that. Okay, don't get me wrong. Don't go home and like, well, I'm pretty sure he said we didn't have to be nice or good. That's not what I'm saying. But these attributes, these qualities, they're not distinctively Christian. We know nice, good, non-believing people. I want to be known as a faithful Christian, a faithful Christian. If I'm nice or good, it's not for goodness sakes. It's not because... I'm trying to earn favor among men. It's not because it will help me gain a friendship or make a sale or smooth over a relationship. I want my words and my actions and my attitude to be a result of what I believe. When I walk worthy of my calling in Jesus Christ, I'm acting in faithful obedience to Him regardless of the earthly outcome. Now, obviously... We don't have time to dig in deeply with each of these walking commands this morning. We're going to, you know, as you know, we, we, we postponed or paused our sermon series in Ephesians for, for Advent and Christmas. We're starting that up next week. We'll continue it into the next year. So that is, uh, you know, come back. We're going to dig in deep into the, the rich doctrine and instruction of Ephesians. But this morning, in the time we have remaining, I want to highlight a sampling of these instructions and how they can practically apply to our everyday lives. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will be prompting you to resolve, to resolve as we look into this coming year to, to make one of these, at least one of these, a spiritual discipline you focus on in the year ahead. You know, the first one is to walk in purity. Walk in purity. 
Ephesians 4, 17 to 20. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. In Ephesians 5, 3 to 5, Paul writes, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, Paul does not soft-pedal the importance of purity. Immorality, impurity, it's steeped in our culture today. In fact, you might even say it's celebrated and esteemed. But friends, that is completely incongruent for those who follow Jesus Christ. So let me be very direct. If you are losing... If you are losing a battle to pornography, that is not the way you learn Christ. If you are married and flirtatious with others, that is not the way you learned Christ. If you are unmarried and sexually active, that is not the way you learned Christ. We are called to walk in purity. As children of light, Paul writes, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, Ephesians 5.11. If you are walking in darkness and impurity, please, please resolve to bring that into the light. I ask you, urge you, as Paul would say, talk to your parent, talk to a pastor, get help to walk victoriously as a child of light. A second instruction to touch on this morning is to walk in unity. Walk in unity. Because Jesus has reconciled us to God, Ephesians 2.16, and restored our fellowship with him, we are called to respond by walking in unity as a church. We see that in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. To be reconciled relationally means to repair and restore what is broken or severed. One Bible dictionary describes reconciliation like this, the restoration of fellowship between God and humanity on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. When you receive the gift of reconciliation with God, your relationship with him is restored. You are no longer an enemy of God, but called his friend. In Colossians 1 Verses 21 to 22, Paul writes, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This doctrine of reconciliation ought to spill out into our relationships with each other. In Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, Paul addressed the deep division within the early church between Jews and Gentiles. This was a serious challenge in the early church. 
The Jews were God's chosen people, and God's law for his people resulted in significant and obvious differences between Jew and Gentile, the way they worshipped, who they worshipped, or what they worshipped, the way they ate, the way they dressed. Now, Jesus abolished these Old Testament ceremonial laws that separated Jew from Gentile. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, for he, Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made us both one, that is Jew and Gentile, speaking of Jew and Gentile, both one. He's broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So even though Jesus had broken down this dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, the, the, the deep-rooted cultural differences were carried into the early church. You, you can read all about it in Acts. Paul is urging the Ephesians church to walk in unity with one another. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then Paul goes on, he, he falls back into doctrine. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. He's connecting the, the body of Christ with our reconciliation through Jesus now, while we don't have Jew-Gentile tension within our church, the principle of walking in unity is still relevant today. We are one in Jesus Christ, who is over all and in all and through all. In Romans 12, 16, Paul puts it like this, live in harmony with one another. Harmony. God instituted the church intending for us to operate and function like an orchestra, harmoniously. Like an orchestra, we each play a specific part, but the cohesive whole is more beautiful than any one individual part. Now, how do we foster unity within our diverse, and might I say, opinionated church body? A couple awkward chuckles. Um, I encourage you to refresh yourself with the commitments GFC members make to each other. You can find these on our website. GFC members commit to praying for the unity of the Spirit and for peace. For they commit to walking together in Christian love, using our gifts to serve and bless this church family, loving one another in brotherly love, praying for one another in aiding one another, striving to avoid gossip and unrighteous anger, desiring to be slow to take offense, desiring to think the best of one another, and being ready for biblical reconciliation. These are commitments of unity within our church body. Maybe you need to recommit yourself to these actions and attitudes within our church. And I'll say this is especially important as we continue having conversations with Faith Baptist, if we combine our congregations, the diversity increases, right? 
the diversity within our church body would increase. So as you process this, as we process this together, pray for a heart attitude. Pray for your words and actions to be filled with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A third instruction we'll land on this morning is to speak in love and purity. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Ephesians 4.25, therefore having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members with one another. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those to hear. In Ephesians 5.4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. I don't know about you, these are convicting passages of Scripture. James famously wrote, that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell, James 3.6. Our speech matters to God. Yet how easily we say something that's hurtful or boastful or untrue or impure. I love the second half of Ephesians 4.29. Let's use that as a diagnostic for our speech. Is what I'm saying or about to say good for building up? Is it giving grace to those who hear? Will you resolve in the year ahead to honor the Lord with your speech? Finally, we're called to act tenderheartedly and in kindness to one another. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You can see how these instructions are so interrelated. I suspect it is impossible to walk in Christian unity, yet lack kindness and withhold forgiveness. These go hand in hand. Moreover, if you hold on to bitterness or wrath or anger, it will inevitably come out in your speech. Indeed, clamor and slander listed here involve your words. It's been my experience that someone who withholds forgiveness is also harboring bitterness. Scripture is crystal clear on this matter. It is sinful to be consumed with bitterness, to talk about someone maliciously and to withhold forgiveness. As we enter 2024, I, I, I'll share with you a, a cold, hard fact. If you're married, your spouse is a sinner. In fact, your parents, your, your parents, your, uh, your, your brothers, your sister, are, they're all sinners. And if you look around the room, I'm afraid to tell you this, but our church is full of sinners. And, and, and I'm going to just make a prediction here that at some point next year, we're going to hurt each other. 
We're going to say something that's hurtful. We're going to do something that's insensitive. It will happen. In love, God showered his forgiveness and mercy and grace on you. Therefore, you are called to act tenderheartedly in kindness and forgivingly with those in your family and within your church body. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is bringing a situation to your mind right now where you are withholding kindness or harboring bitterness. Will you resolve to seek the Lord's grace and then extend His grace into that situation? Tomorrow begins a new year, 2024. What resolutions have you made for the year ahead? Will you add one more to walk your everyday life in a manner worthy of the gospel, to respond to the good news of Christmas in faithful obedience. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can only come into your presence with a posture of humility and thankfulness and worship, recognizing that it's not anything we've done It's all a gift from you, our salvation, our hope, the restored fellowship we have with you, the spiritual blessings and inheritance you've promised for us, guaranteed through your Holy Spirit. Oh, as we think and meditate on all that you've given us, may your Holy Spirit prompt us to walk faithfully to these truths, to extend kindness and forgiveness to others, to to have purity and love in our speech, to, to walk united together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to live lives that are pure, that we will walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we ask in your name for your glory and our good. Amen.